desperate for points. Oklahoma. There's Jalen Hurts. Funnel screen. C.D. Lamb. Trying to get outside. And does. C.D. Lamb stays on his feet. And he will go the distance. Just what the Sooners needed. 70-yard touchdown. Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me today, we got Ty Lee and he's back, folks. Jameson Maxwell has returned to the pod. We have to talk about what happened. Jameson, welcome back, man. I'm back. (laughs) Sam Ellinger. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I don't know what happened, to be completely honest. Uh, I feel like the biggest thing is... Let's not blame the defense as it's some kind of old OU defense. This is not a Mike Stoops mistake thing. You play so many games a year that just odds are that you're going to lose one. So in all honesty, we shouldn't freak out and try to throw everything to crap for the season. I'm still very happy with the direction we're going. Just things didn't go our way. I mean, I'm not happy, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. We thought up to this point. Uh, we knew that the defense hadn't been tested, but we thought that they would be able to survive a lot more than they ended up being able to survive. So I'm pretty disappointed, and I, I pretty firmly place this on the defense because it's like the arguments from years past. If you score 40-something points on someone, you shouldn't lose. So I know there were some moments where offensive production wasn't there, but we scored 40-something points. I mean, here here's my thing on it. Um, I think that the the defense just kind of faced against a, I, I think a schematically ish like problematic uh, offense in Kansas State. They really kind of outcoached us. They made us play uh, against our strengths. Speed D doesn't work when you can't get any penetration, and you know you're really having to drop back, you know, in, in coverage and it. Um, a lot of the schemes that Kleiman uh, implemented there really did throw off the you know quick reaction based type of system, uh, and gave. I mean, it was a long day for OU because of because I I think first uh, first things first, uh, Kansas State's coaching. Yeah, I mean That's, we got yeah. absolutely bullied on the front lines. Our offensive line and defensive line just got absolutely destroyed. So if you're if you're going to point the fingers at things, it's definitely those two. Our defensive line being the most, we've done really well in like absolutely just blowing up plays before they can get started and on the D-line. And what K-State did with that is they put three people in the backfield to where our D-line wouldn't have as much of an impact on blowing up on that first play because they have kind of like a backup blockers in that kind of multi-triangle pistol diamond looking thing that they did. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. that's that's... That is the big thing is blow up, blow up the plays. And, you know, they, they really forced us to go out there and defend the receivers straight up, which frankly, um, that's that that isn't a thing Grinch's uh, defense really does because it doesn't really have to at times because they're either being aggressive and trying to get to the ball or they're, you know, I guess the extras who have to the extra bodies out there who just have to kind of get in front of it. But it just really, it, it really put a big wrench in, in the system for Alex. Uh, Ty, what were you going to say on that? Here's yeah. So here's my take is yeah. Big, big credit to K state for everything that they did because they clearly were better prepared. But if, if you ask me, and then if you look at, you know, previous teams that have won in the past, a championship defense doesn't get this done to them both halves of the game. Nick Saban's teams do not have teams do the exact same thing first and second half with the exact same success. We were unable to defensively adjust and change things around to adjust that scheme. Granted, I don't think our secondary could match up like you guys are saying, but the big thing in this game was the they pretty much eliminated our linebackers from the game. Our defense looked totally flat. It looked like the line in the secondary and there was basically no linebacker factors in this game, really, that I can even think of. So it's disappointing to me because I thought we were a defense that 
was championship level that could make adjustments that was able to watch game tape and say, Hey, we can't run our usual scheme, but we can adjust something. Cause clearly none of those things happened um, during this game. So it's, uh, it's, I'm not saying the defense is bad. I think it's it's definitely leaps and bounds past where it was. I just don't think it's the defense that we've been led to believe. Well, yeah, I, it's it's just kind of like OU fans are very hot and cold. It, it's whenever the things are going great, we're on top of the world, and we think our defense is the like the next best thing. Obviously, we are humbled a little bit this game, and you're exactly right. The coaching needs to be came at because they did not make enough adjustments. But I'd completely disagree about the linebacker thing. I think what K-State did is put our linebackers on an island and force them to make plays. And one thing we've known about Kenneth Murray for a very long time, and we've seen with Brian Asamoah this year, is they are not good about going up the correct gap. They do really well when the play's already blown up in front of them, and they can go sideline to sideline and make athletic plays. What they did is let's use um, this blocking scheme to encourage good play from smart linebacker and IQ of linebacker is not what we have. There's a really interesting play. Uh, David Pollock tweeted or tweeted out where um, there was a misdirection on a pole that a linebacker ha- or that a uh, lineman had where it looked like they were going right. Guy pulls, pulls back over to the left, blows up uh, the backside help and leaves a completely open uh, middle of the field because Kenneth Murray was reacting to what he thought was a run to the right. So it was just some, a lot of creative schemes from Kansas State as well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, no no discredit to them. And and uh, I guess um, I'm going to assume, because I didn't review it, really. Uh, it's too painful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that, that what Jamison just said sounds, you know, pretty true. My The thing that I noticed was that our linebackers weren't really a factor in winning the game defensively. And they previously have been, so and you're that's kind of where right. my take came from. You're absolutely right. It's just because they weren't making the plays they should have. You know, I mean, and, and we got to kind of point the finger as should we be worried about our rushbacker spot? We are really encouraged with Nick Benito's play and a little bit of David Ukwebu from the past couple of weeks. With John Michael Terry going down, he was just a sense of just solidarity and stability um, when it came down to just blowing up places on the edge. K-State really hit us on the edge a little bit. Like, I don't know if John Michael Terry injury is something that's going to get a lot of press, but we obviously saw the first game without him was not the prettiest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I also will say that I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the depth that you lose with John Michael Terry. Um, Not only that, but uh, yeah, go for it. And the the depth that you lose when your players start kicking people in the chest. Oh, God, that was... That was so stupid. Honestly, you, yeah. you got to control your emotions. Um, I don't really think that that was a factor in us losing the game, but we had three cornerbacks. Luck. We had three yeah. cornerbacks suited up, and Motley goes down, and we're like, "What do we do now? We have like Brown and Jaden Davis, nobody else. Everyone, the cornerback position is transferred or not suited. We were just totally reliant." on those three guys did not anticipate one of them getting ejected for sure. And think about that third quarter and the end of, well, and also the end of the second quarter that goes for that. Uh, those two crucial turnovers uh, happening immediately, you know, on one of them was the first play of the drive and one of them was on a kickoff that gave that defense no time to recover, especially when you're running low on depth, they're gassed out there. They're already trying their best to fly around and go fast. Having them, having, to stay on the field for that long and the way Kansas state would slowly move the ball down the field and really bite you on, you know, third down. That was, I mean, that was huge. Yeah. Those third downs were absolutely killer. And plus also you got to remember Delaren Turner yell went out with a concussion as well. Our secondary was down. I'm not saying this game was because of injuries. That's just another, that's just another factor in the whole grand scheme of things. I mean, we can point and we can talk about our um, defense all day, but transitioning to offense, I mean, we did not give our running backs the ball worth crap. Trey Sermon, once again, is mm-hmm. not getting the ball at all. And Lincoln and like, post-press um, conferences are saying, like, yeah, um, there's nothing wrong with him. There's no hurt. There's n- we're just, we, we just haven't found the way to get him the ball. No, Lincoln, you're an offensive genius, and you understand what works. You would say if there was, like, 
a strategic advantage or something to not giving the ball to running backs. That doesn't make any sense. There's something that we don't know here about Trey Sermon. Mm, I don't know. So here's my take on it is when you look at the plays that we've been running, I've kind of been watching this all season. There hasn't been a real significant change in the plays that Riley is calling from last year, even the before. And when you look at last year and even the year before, we're pretty like one of the closest teams in the nation to 50, 50 run pass. And the one difference I've said this kind of trolling sometimes, but then I started to look into it more. And I think there is a bit of truth to this. When we call RPOs all the time, the decision to run or throw or, you know, run with the quarterback is entirely on the quarterback and the quarterback that we have right now is a lot, a lot less willing to pass the ball off in an RPO compared to the previous two. So, like, even because, you know, everyone says, like, oh, all of our run plays are Hurts, but Hurts really only has, like, a handful of designed run plays per game, and then he's getting, you know, almost dozens of run plays per game off RPOs where he decides, I'm going to hang on to this, and I'm going to try to make something of it. So that's one of his strengths, but he is a bit of a ball hog what I've uh, kind of reviewed. Well, not only that, but I I think the biggest issue is giving as many uh, RPOs as we are instead of just a traditional, let's line up, hand the ball, you know, up a, up a four gap and, you know, let's get like five yards, which we are extremely effective in. When we line up geared to run the ball, I feel like OU has been pretty successful. And I know that sounds like, like a, I know that sounds like a super old school gooner take of run the damn ball and we need to give Trey Sermon the ball more. But honestly, we need more designed runs because we have a great backfield. We've Lincoln just has a weird tendency to, you know, want to throw the ball more, want to focus more on RPOs, which is understandable. But he's been doing this since the P. Ryan Nixon era of not utilizing his backs to their fullest uh, potential, I believe. Which is, like, I, I see where he's coming from, but whenever it gets to crunch time, I feel like he gets a little antsy and wants to make that, you know, differential up as fast as he can. And sometimes it leads to offensive drives that are a little not as creative <laughs> or not as impactful because you lose the running game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, I was kind of going at Trey Sermon's snap count the past three games has just been weird. It's getting gradually bigger, but it just makes me think, like, is there some kind of, like, locker room thing that... Trey Sermon uh, got almost penalized and not getting the ball as much. Kennedy Brooks needs to get the ball more. It's a simple thing of that. I don't like, – like we said with the um, RPO and giving the ball directly to the running back, Kennedy Brooks is a 1,000-yard back along with Trey Sermon last year. We had two 1,000-yard backs last year. We're not going to even be close to that. And I understand um, yeah. Jalen Hurts is one of those guys. But if you're trying to model offenses and everything, I understand every single year you got a different one. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. And we got the same two guys from last year that both did really well in our run game to open up our pass game with a mobile quarterback. I say why not? I, I don't think Jalen feels as comfortable whenever he's forced to have the whole offense on his shoulders um, just yet. And uh, I think the run game could really help him out. Definitely. Um, speaking of Jalen, like through the through, – let's just talk about through the air. I feel like – Hertz has gotten a lot of uh, kind of flack for this game because they're like, oh, a lot of people are like, oh, he lost to Heisman. I, I don't think he performed bad at all. He, I, I, I think he probably deserves a good one percent of the blame, if that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy, I thought the guy played a, played a very effective ball game, made some impressive throws. Um, a lot of that was impressive receiver work on CD, and uh, well, he did have that terrible drop. Uh, Charleston Rambo had a, had a, had a couple good catches in there. Um, but overall, what would y'all, what, what did you guys think of, uh, Hertz's performance as a passer on Saturday? I have no issues with it. I, I don't think that there's any real realistic criticisms. Like every, obviously everything can always be better, but, uh, I think like we just touched on offensively, the only real criticism I have is would be on coaching. Um, you know, outside of the line, there's not much on the players that you can really blame. Yeah, Rambo had that very uncharacteristic drop uh, for him. Um, but outside of that, yeah, no no fingers to point there that I see. Yeah, um, I agree. The coaching's really kind of 
the one thing when I think of the offense could have done better. The clock management, I guess I could kind of go at Jalen Hurts for. I feel like that hurry-up drive, he was way too nonchalant, was acting like it was just some ordinary drive. Um, his QB power up the middle for like a yard or two, that is extreme low IQ play. Um, There's so many seconds lost on that drive due to not hurrying to the line of scrimmage for everybody on the outside. Hurts not getting the snap off quickly, just sitting there. I just, I don't know, other than his Georgia game, like how often has Hurts had to play a hurry-up offense like this? It's very yeah. And he did not look prepared in the slightest and did not have any urgency in my mind at all. Yeah, clock management was, clock management was just awful on that second drive, uh, the one that ended in the field goal. Oh, even even down to having to burn our last time out to get the field goal team out there. That's again, I guess I guess that goes towards a, a coaching qualm, but that that should not have happened. The field goal team, the second we got across the fifty, honestly from the start of the drive, the field goal team should have been helmets on, ready to go as soon as, you know, the call is made. We should not have had to burn the timeout to get the field goal team out there. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It wasn't as much about those that one timeout. It was much more about the timeouts beforehand. It's, well, no, I, I, just, I just wanted to touch on a clock management yes. thing that you guys hadn't. Yes, no, um, I completely agree. It's yeah. it, the timeout usage was very confusing, it and was it just very like yeah, very, like like Jalen, I just felt Lincoln was not as skilled and was not as prepared to use the correct timing of timeouts and time management. It just didn't seem like he was really on top of things, if that makes any sense. Definitely. Definitely. Um, what should we do? Should we do game balls? We still, I mean, we lost, but I feel like that sh- still should be passed out. So um, do we actually give anyone the game ball on defense here or uh, did anyone stand out to you, Jameson? Uh, I don't know. The only one, player that really I kind of just thought that did well and kind of stood out from others I guess Q Overton was like the only one I saw actually getting anywhere on defense yeah, in the defensive Q, line. he had almost a career game for him I think if I yeah. remember correctly uh, yeah I'll give mine to Q yeah I I heard a lot of Q Overton's name and in, in stands this Saturday I, I he's the only one I would I would have given it to as well uh I mean obviously like the the D line probably had one of the rougher games, and uh, I, while I know it's a goonery take, there was holding, there was lots of holding on the field, but um, you know that's kind of what you have to do sometimes. You know that there's holding on both sides of it. Um, yeah, but but Q over ten was the one who overcame it the most, and you know big shouts to him. And then uh, offensive game balls, um, Jameson, you go first again. Obviously, C.D. Lamb in that screen. The only reason that onside kick fiasco and all of the hype and all of the hope that we got back was because C.D. Lamb turned a play that should have been five yards into a 75 or whatever, how long touchdown he just ran. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, this, that one's a little cut and dry. Honestly, he, he had a couple catches and yards after catch, you know, runs that were just astonishingly good um is cd did, yours too uh cd is Love mine him. as well i i, I just okay. just what he did you know you it's so rare to see a wide receiver impact the game as much as he does with the ball in his hands but the guy just you know he can take to to borrow a uh, old brian davis term he took he can take chicken salad he can make chicken salad out of out of chicken something else so that's he's just really good. So all right, Ty, Ty, who's yours? Uh, so, well, no, no, mine, mine is not CD, but I will say I, I agree with you guys. CD's touchdown, I think, um, is a hundred percent of the reason why we only lost by a touchdown. And I think we would have lost. I think we would have got completely blown out had CD not scored uh, that one touchdown that kind of spurred the comeback. Mine, because I, I want to be kind of off the wall, and this is really the one that stood out to me and I've been very impressed and I doubted uh, but I was very impressed this game is uh Gabe God, what's his name Brick 
Break our kicker. I'm giving it to the kicker. Gabe Burkich. Burkich. Yeah, well, they say it four different times or four different ways each game. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, Burkich is going to get my game ball because he was hitting stuff in the 40s, which is very impressive for our kickers this year. Um, the onside was really good. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure why he was the second string kicker uh, because he is so far outperformed what uh, Sutherland was doing on the field. Uh, and he's definitely obviously outperformed what Sutherland was doing off the field. So, yeah. Yeah. When was the Burkitt. last time we had, when was the last time we had a 50 yard field goal? That was incredible. <laughs> I can't even tell you, dude. <laughs> Not even with like Cybert. I don't, I don't even know. Honeycut, I think. Oh Lord. Had a, he had some deep forties, but I mean, when, when you're on meth, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Honeycutt was on that chili pee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Blue, blue ice. <laughs> oh, man. Tight, tight, tight. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyways. Yeah, no, Burkitt's was incredible. And honestly, that uh, onside kick was about as successful as you could really get it. Um, he, yeah. He is nowhere even close to as successful as as much as I hate to say it Cameron Dicker is probably the best onside kicker that I've seen in football in a long time he if you I don't I don't know if you guys remember this but oh it was gold all three of all three of their losses have come down to to onsides that as far as Dicker was concerned were extremely recoverable I mean they uh what's his name Johnson straight up dropped the one against LSU yeah um the one against OU was extremely recoverable and and then this other one against uh, did they do an onside against TCU or am I making this up? I, all I know is every time I've seen Dicker kick an onside, it has touched a Texas player's hands and they've had every chance in the world to get it. Uh, so shout out to Dicker, but yeah, we don't need to talk about him. D- yeah, do we need to talk about the onside or has that already been beaten to death? No. I kind of. I think I think we disagree. We disagree on the onside, so I don't know. We can yeah. touch on it, I guess. I, I don't disagree with the call that was made. Um, I I don't think that the wrong call was made. I, I agree with the call that was made, and I would feel really weird if we had, like, a, you know, 2006 Oregon game, but we're on the other side. And it would just kind of tarnish the whole season for me. Um, but even just per my understanding of the rules, I don't disagree with the call that was made, so... Honestly, I, I look. I, I I understand your interpretation of the you know the forced contact is a little different because you believe he while he did you know go into it with a block he was definitely pushed backwards. I think that should felicit- or, uh, facilitate forced contact, even though he you know was going for a block. It, it it wasn't like he was trying to recover that football. He he did not make a football move to try to recover it. I think it's forced. Um, but you know, honestly, that that lies up to your interpretation, Jameson. What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I try not to go too far into it. Um, it's I feel like that it was good. It was a good thing to have for fans after the game to kind of use that as their um, diffuse towards their anger. You know, they could kind of get angry about the onside kick rather than our absolutely horrible performance. Um, And it was it was prominent. Uh, But I mean, the thing is, like, would it have still hit Bridges if he wasn't touched? I mean, that's that's the question. And I feel like that the Big 12 referees, the way they have described it post game and during the game has been absolutely poor. And I think if they would have explained it more accurately, then I feel like the more fans of OU would have understood why it was um, the correct call. So I'm kind of yeah. I kind of lean more towards Ty on this one. Anything it was forced contact, but I mean like I don't I don't know where the line of forced contact that caused him to touch the ball rather than just t- contacting him. You know, it's it's just there's such a gray line there. My biggest issue I think is. With the rule itself, um, this first of all, I'm just gonna say this: this was not nearly as bad as Oregon. OU didn't get like as screwed as we did in 06. This is a this is a different situation. I think there was there's a lot more wiggle room for what happened. It's not as bad as that. Um, however, I think the fact that you can't review the cause of the forced contact 
but you can review whether or not they were, you know, there was forced contact is ridiculous. You'd need to be able to factor in every part of that equation, and that includes forced contact. And the fact that it isn't reviewable is absurd. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I, no. I, I completely agree with no, that. No, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I just think that regardless of review, I think that what occurred was, you know, but yeah, we, we don't need to spend too much time on it. I mean, we're not going to sway anyone's opinion on this. This is such an emotional topic for Sooner fans, so. I personally am a fan of the, if, if it's a cool play rule, it should overlook or overrule any, like, small details. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> including including whether or not it bounced off of our clumsy uh, receivers, like receiver slash cornerbacks um, elbow. So uh, I think God. the rule, I think the ref should have been like that. <laughs> while it may have touched off the elbow, it was inconsequential enough and we will not ruin the cool play. First such, down a, <laughs> such a millennial take right there. Let's not yeah. follow the rules and let's just have fun. It, it, I, I think, I think it, well, I think you should look at how cool it is. And obviously, <laughs> obviously this is pretty tongue in cheek. I, I got to say that. So I know I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, move away from this onside kick. Yeah, no, I, I think we, <laughs> God, I think we covered it pretty well. Hey everyone, before we get started, I just want to talk about our sponsor anchor. Anchor simply is the perfect place to go if you're trying to start a podcast. First off, free. That's great. But there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Super easy to use, super intuitive. Uh, and then once you have that edited, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places uh, where you listen to podcasts and when they're distributed, you can start making money from your podcast right away. No minimum listener, listenership. Start getting that Anchor money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one spot. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm right now to get started. Now, the Schooner Pod. Since you're on, Jameson, and we, we, we don't really get a chance to really talk a lot um, with you about uh, Suter Sports, I think we, we need to go to an old location we haven't been to in a while. The uh, good old Cruden corner, so. Oh my gosh, this corner is just, it is, it, I've missed so much, guys. So, um, so I don't know how well I can bring everyone up to speed from the last time I've done this, but I can just talk about the big things that are going on currently. So just overall, the biggest things in recruiting is we need defensive backs and defensive linemen. We pretty much have all the other spots filled. So looking at defensive backs, we want about, two um, cornerbacks and maybe one safety. Three cornerbacks would be nice. Texas, our good old friends of Texas, ever since the Kansas loss, there's some kind of – there's something wrong going on internally. And th like three commits, uh, two publicly and one probably about to decommitted. And two, both uh, the ones that are publicly decommitted are sooner targets beforehand. Josh Eaton being the first four-star, six-foot-two cornerback, has speed, has size – prototype Grinch guy. He's going to take his visits, but he's a huge OU lean, a bunch of crystal balls going into him for OU to, from 247, so it would be a great hit. So who else are we going to take the defensive back class? We know Dante Manning, one of the best cornerbacks in the nation, decommitted a couple months ago, kind of went silent on us. But now he's throwing horns down on Twitter. We're getting a lot of guys um, from Rivals 247, all those places going up to visit him. He seems like um, he's back with OU and everything's good. And he had a Georgia interview where he kind of talked about how OU recruits him the hardest and just feels like home and like kind of sounds like we're his number one right now. So that's pretty good. So who's going to be that last spot? We're, we're offering a bunch of JUCO guys right now, which means that we're not very confident on getting that third spot from a high school guy, but we had a top 80 player in the nation, Keyshawn Lawrence, who's a Tennessee commit right now, um, visit for the West Virginia game. He liked it, but I'm still not sold. He's a favorite there. Um, moving to the defensive tackle spot, this is something to be excited about. Now, this is all stuff that happened pre-K-State. I don't know about the reactions to them post-K-State, but... I said one of the deep decommits from Texas, Princely Umanmulan. This is our favorite name guy, like the David Uguebu of last year. 
Princely has taken so many OU visits and then randomly out of the blue kind of committed to Texas um, probably about four months ago. And he de- he pretty much just committed because he wanted to solidify a spot. But he, he got out after the Kansas thing, and he himself reached out to OU. It's not like OU reopened recruitment with him. Like, he wanted to be back on it. So now OU's considering if they want to go back in him. Wow. The guy that we've been going after really hard, who's a Texas legacy, is Alfred Collins, big-time four-star defensive tackle guy. Um, really quiet, not much to know about, but he's kind of a Texas lean, but he's by far our big-time target. Recently, out of the blue as well, a top 50 player in the nation, defensive lineman, came to visit us for that West Virginia game. Reggie Grimes, he is a legacy at Alabama, but Alabama doesn't have a spot for him, even though he's a top 50 player. Um, So it's pretty much us in South Carolina, and we have the choice of, like, do we want to take him or not? I think if we want to take him, he'd be in the lead. OU would be in the lead with him. So we're kind of in this standstill period of figuring out who we want. Or if we want a JUCO guy, there's a guy from Independence Community College. It's on Last Chance U um, this next season, I guess, um, named Dre Butler. He just got an offer a couple weeks ago, um, but he's a May graduate, so it's going to be a while until he gets a commit. If you guys remember, we have Perry and Winfrey, the number one JUCO defensive tackle in the nation, number one overall JUCO player in the nation, plus Noah Renze is a defensive end, already committed. So we kind of have one spot open. We'll take two if Collins is one of them. But you got to be excited that players are reaching out to OU to get recruited by them because they've liked so much what they've seen on tape, like Princely and Manly, Melin and Reggie Grimes have done. So it seems like if this K-State loss did not um, have too much of a negative effect, that OU is in the driver's seat of what they want to do with their defensive line recruiting. Definitely. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is showing that this defense is for real. Um, obviously, the K-State game looked... Not the best, but, um, you know, really really showing that the scheme is solid there and that we're heading in the right direction and things aren't going to be like the Mike Stoops era. Yep. But all in all, things are going well as of pre-K State with the recruiting. Um, the class is pretty much almost rounded out for 2020. 2021's really fun. I think that could be something really special. Um we're not getting many wide receivers right now in 2020, obviously, from last year getting three five stars. But 2021 could be a class that could rival that of the 2020, um, 2019 wide receiver class, getting three five, very high-end wide receivers that are all um, high on OU. So um, that'll be fun to see with time, but they're very young. But 2020s, all in all, looking pretty good. Um, I guess one last thing I can go over is Edgerin Cooper is one of our linebacker commits. Our linebackers are pretty much full. Um, he got an He's from Louisiana, got an offer from LSU about a month ago. Everyone thought he was going to decommit. Now, the whole thing is, does this LSU offer a committable offer? Can he immediately take it and go be an LSU Tiger? Or is it just a just-in-case kind of offer? They have kind of a full linebacker room, but they thought – Josh White, a former OU target who's a commit to LSU, is going to decommit and go to Texas. But ever since this Texas absolute implosion that's going on there, um, I guess he doesn't want to. So thank you, Texas, for screwing up so much that you've saved one of our recruits. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice to see Texas implode like we kind of thought they would. You know, there was always so much hype about them and – you know, we, we were always waiting to see the substance. We thought we'd get to see it this year. And to see it, you know, kind of fall in on itself has been kind of kind of rewarding. You know, it's it's nice, especially because we have so many recruiting battles against them. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. really helping us right now. I, I don't really think it's an implosion. I think that uh, Texas has two big things going against them. It's one, they're claiming over and over and over that, we're back, we're improving, and then the results are, you know, stagnant every year. And I think recruits are seeing that. And then I think another big one, this is one that I've always, you know, spoken about OU always doing well, even back way pre-Riley, like even back into the 70s, is the family that is OU football. Um, you know, you see it like at the, you know, the Heisman Trophy ceremonies is probably the biggest thing that the nation sees, but just you don't see, granted, you know, OU's had more screen time because our guys have been in, so you're seeing it, but 
you know, everybody except for, you know, Jason White, because apparently he has better things to do. I think he's homeless or something now. Uh, but everybody comes to the the things um, and just the, it's a family and it's a it's a good culture here at OU. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing Tom Herman, there's not a uh, there's not a family culture at, at UT. Yeah, uh, what I was kind of going out not with the a genuine and, one. Yeah, with the implosion, I I think like the senior boards and some of the um, rambling gooners have kind of gotten whiffs of there might be some kind of like player coach discord on Texas's end. That's not really oh, I could, I could doing well. For yeah. Yeah. I, from, you know, my experience playing, you know, a bunch of different sports, including football in the SEC in high school. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, Tom Herman does not. Yeah. It took a second for you guys there. Um, Tom, Tom Herman. All I'm saying is like the guys that I played high school football against, like, went to SEC schools, like, you guys played, like, Big 12 kids, so not as impressive. Uh, but anyways, um, I forgot. I got totally sidetracked. <laughs> I, I, I just can't see – I can't see there being a, a really healthy player-coach locker room relationship between Herman and, and any sort of players. But, uh, yeah, again, I don't want to dive too much into just Texas stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's – Texas is Texas. We're probably not going to see him again this year, uh, barring you know, <laughs> barring another like crazy run like they had last year, where they you know pulled themselves up out of the grave. Uh, I don't see it happening. So I think Texas, we can we can shelve them for a while, which is good. But um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess they they have a shot still. They, they, if we beat Baylor, they beat Baylor. I think they'd be in the driver's seat, I suppose. Depending on Iowa State. Uh, the Big 12 is still very open. Very open in the Big 12. Yeah, which brings us to our next point, kind of. It's it's all pretty open. And I think a lot of people have been a little early to bury the Sooners in the college football playoff discussion. Um, so I'm just going to ask you both. Um, we'll actually start with Ty this time, because I'm sure he has a hot take that we can respond to. Uh, Ty... Do the Sooners have a shot at making the playoffs still? I, Bobby, we got into this the other day. We didn't get into this specifically. I think OU does not have a shot at the playoff anymore because not only did we lose to K-State this past weekend, we lost the eye test. We lost to an unranked Big 12 team that bullied us the entire game. And the committee now with the eye test, that is a good thing, is not going to put OUN over Bama or LSU, regardless of what happens in their seasons. Clemson, who is going to go undefeated. Ohio State, I think at this point, even Penn State, if they drop one to a ranked opponent by a touchdown, there there are so many schools that I think the committee puts in before OU because no one has any respect for the Big 12. Rightfully so, I would say, on the national scale. Um, and I think that yeah, you could definitely make an argument that OU can, in a lot of different scenarios, be deserving of a playoff bid. But in my opinion, again, it's not who is the most deserving. It's who are the best four teams. And when you look at it from an eye test, when you look at you know the strength of schedule and, and all considered, I do not think any – I did before, but after this Kansas State game, I realized that flukes happen, but – they just had a better prepared game plan for us. And if they can do it, then Dabo Sweeney can do it. Nick Saban can do it. I don't think that OU is one of the best four teams this year, very unfortunately. So I think OU does not have a shot, regardless of what happens uh, to the playoffs. So that, that's my take. I really probably won't have any rebuttals because I kind of, you know, fired all my ammo there. But that's, that's my take on it. So do you think, like, they shouldn't make the playoffs or they won't? I think, I think, I think. I think that we, well, okay, that's a good question. I think that there are definitely situations that you can say, OU's done this, this team has done this, this, and this. OU only lose to, like, I'd put in Penn State, Ohio State, Bama, LSU. Um, so I, I just don't see, I don't think we will at all. Uh, should we? I don't, maybe uh, the playoffs too small this year to tell, uh, but from the sample size that we have right now, 
and from the results that we're going to get, uh, you know, from date to playoff selection, I don't think that OU makes it uh, at all. And I don't think it's realistic to say that OU will. So you think it would be just totally okay to leave, just you just have two conferences in the in the playoff? I think I think I c- could care less about conferences. Um, unless you're a team that's not in one, then you don't deserve to, to be in the playoff. But I think that it should be the best four teams in the playoff, regardless of conference. If, if they're all from the Pac-12, then put four teams from the Pac-12 in. Obviously, that's a wild hypothetical. But, you know, I, the playoff is to find the best four teams to play to find the one true champion. Now, I have said before that if you can't even win your conference, then obviously you're not the best team. So obviously there is some you know, truth to that. And I guess you could make that argument for Bama LSU. If you can't even win your half of your conference. And Penn State, Ohio State. Penn State. Yes. Yeah. But when you look at, and and this is my argument, I'm not saying that OU should be left out. I'm saying that when you look at it from an eye test view, from a non-OU fan view, the Big Ten is a really good conference. The SEC is a really good conference. And I just see people that have no emotional connection to OU saying, this one loss in the SEC or this one loss in the Big Ten is way better looking than OU's one loss in the Big 12. Because you, you got to think that, you know, one of those SEC, SEC teams, 100% chance of getting in, whether it's Bama or LSU, one of them has 100% chance of getting in. Clemson at this point has a damn near 100% chance of getting in, even if they drop a game to an unranked team. Okay, that's, that's where State. I stop you there. That is ridiculous. No, I think, I, I'm not saying that they should, and I don't agree with that, but I think that if you don't have an emotional connection to OU, you say, hey, this is the defending national champs. They've been good for the past couple of years. They've been, you know, consistently good with this coach. I, I'm saying that this is what I think the committee would do. Is it right? No. Would it, do I agree with it in any way? No. But I think that when you look at Clemson's past performance in the playoff, and OU's past performance in the playoff, if you have no emotional connection to either team, you say, hey, Clemson goes in every year and they make it to the championship and they're competing. Yeah, they have a loss against an unranked team, but here's OU that has lost every playoff game we put them in and they have a loss against an unranked team. So again, do I agree with it? Do I, I think OU is a better team than Clemson this year. I just don't think that the committee is going to put OU in. I don't think I know, that... I know you guys disagree with this. I, I, and I'm not saying that OU should be left out. I'm just saying I don't think that there is a scenario where the committee puts OU in. Uh, okay. If, uh, let, let, let's, let's, let, let's let other people talk here. If the committee is biasing themselves upon past years and not looking at the current sample size of this this year, we have a large, much, much larger problem on our hands. But I'm going to go on this. Assuming that the there, there's obviously going to be some biases when it comes down to picking the team. I don't know if they'll range as far as um, should we pick a, a team just because they're good in the past years. I think one thing that's going in OU's favor is especially after this loss, it's really looking like the four seed for us. Who would be the number one seed? It's going to be the winner of Alabama-LSU. And if Alabama wins that game, you know how hard it is for the bias and just the thoughts of just these college football power mongols that they'd want to put OU in at the four spot to play Alabama, the one, the Jalen Hurts versus the Nick Saban, Jalen Hurts versus the Tua. That is so hard to resist. And and one thing I really like doing with the – around this time of year, especially when OU loses, go on to the 538 website. Really, really good algorithms to figure out um, who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. If you got us winning out with Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama winning out as well, um, we're at 83% to make the playoffs. That's not, that's, I, I feel like that is just far and away very, very significant. Um, that's, I mean, like, that's even including if Oregon wins out too, where they'd also be a one-loss conference champion they would have 15% chance versus our 80%. I, I'm sorry, but I, I mean, I'm not going to put all of my chips into um, one basket here on all in on a uh, statistics website, but that is really dang significant, hard to take my eye off. I think we are still in if we win out. Um, it's going to hurt that Texas is not doing well and that our conference championship might be kind of not that flashy. I agree with you that if it came down to Clemson versus us as the four spot, Clemson would get in. 
Um, but there's still a lot of season to see. Um, I think it's just going to be another argument of should we put in a one-loss non-champion um, SEC team, a.k.a. LSU or Alabama, or a conference champion one-loss OU team. And one last point before I move this on. Saying that we had a bad loss versus K-State, um, yeah, it was bad. But if you recall, 2016 Clemson, their loss versus Pittsburgh was very similar <laughs> and very, I mean, just that the feel of that game and the, the score of the game was also very close to that of this game. And Clemson goes on to win that national championship. So you cannot judge as much by those kind of fluky games. Yes, that is a factor, but you cannot say, okay, that was a bad loss. They're for sure out. Yeah, but also let's let's take a look at this. I, and I'm not defending the loss. Oh, you looked horrible. It's a bad loss. But let's let's think about this. That Pittsburgh team was six and four when they played Clemson. Um, hell, even that Ohio or Iowa State when they beat us in 2017, they had uh, two losses already at the time. This loss is, you know, this is a two-loss Kansas State team that has a win on the road against Mississippi State. That's not bad. They're trending upwards. They're ranked in the top 25 right now. It's it's really not as much of a disaster as people are making it out to be, I think. And it's something I think you can recover from um, simply because when – look, and I'm just – I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but it is it is the truth. When you talk about having a, the value of a conference championship versus another one-loss team – the conference championship will win out if you are OU, apparently, or if you are a blue blood over another team. I think, I think the the time we ran into that issue in two thousand and I believe seventeen, when the, uh, Alabama got in over Ohio State, Ohio State had two losses. So the conference championship, it it, it can like well, it can be overwritten. I think that the thing that matters more uh, is the record. If, if you have the record and they're on the same playing field, I think that's when the conference championship gets a little bit of a boost. And I don't think I, I think the record isn't obviously stellar. It's not what Alabama has. It's not what LSU has. But I think it's enough that OU can kind of get a boost into the playoff if they want. If they run the deck, we've had this before where we call it off for OU after a bad loss and they make that run and everything's okay. So we'll see how it plays out. I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think what we're rooting for the most with Alabama LSU is a uh, big Alabama home win. Honestly. Over. Yes. We need a blow. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So and a Minnes- Minnesota win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh I don't man! Know. Minnesota just wins out in the Big Ten. <laughs> I would love me to see some Minnesota beating Penn State this weekend. Yeah, we. I, I'm just saying, my my Wake Forest and uh, Minnesota uh, futures to win the conference picks are not looking awful going into November. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, in terms of total long shots, hey, that's not bad. Okay, Minnesota game versus Penn State's not this weekend. Sorry, guys. Following weekend, might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be a clash of the titans. It, I think it's uh, also uh, at at Minnesota too. Which is yes, and they decided to have an eleven a.m. kickoff instead of night game because I guess they like eleven a.m. better. So what do you know? There's oh god! <laughs> oh god! <laughs> it gives you enough time to get your dilly bars in. You know, I guess. No, it's they know that Penn State would do better at night because that's just Penn State. So they're going to make them play at 11 a.m. at Minnesota. I think it's very smart. So good for them. Hey, I'm about it. I'm about that. I like that. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, all right. I think that's that's pretty much it. Jameson, do you have anything to, to kind of say in closing or any, any any thoughts about the season so far? No. Um, I mean. Temper expectations a little bit. It was kind of a good humbling experience from K-State. But I don't think panic mode and going too drastic on we're out of the playoffs 1,000% or Jalen completely lost the Heisman or fire Alex Grinch needs to happen. I think OU Gooner fans need to chill down with their extremes. And that's just been a thing no matter what. I've said all three of those things. 
Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I should add the at sign, but I... Um, Full disclosure. Yeah, I, I mean... I wasn't okay. serious about the fire Alex Grinch, but... Okay, th- that, one, that one's the worst. Hertz is not going to win the Heisman, I don't think. I don't think he's going to win either, but I think that there's still a good chance. I think Joe Burrow's play last game, even though they won, was not something to be excited about if you're an LSU. No, I, I agree. I just It's too emotional of a, an, an award. Yeah, and Tua, and Tua being hurt is really going to hurt him. It's, I mean, yeah, it, that that's just really plummeted. It's, it's Joe Burrow versus um, Jalen Hurts. And if, like we said, if LSU puts out a stinker versus Alabama, it's going you know, to really hurt um, his chance to win. If he goes on and throws for 100 yards, two interceptions, but LSU beats Alabama, he's winning the Heisman, you know? So. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point, I would have to say, so. All right, so I think that's pretty much all we have to say, um, Jameson. Thanks for coming on, man. It was it was it's uh, awesome. Uh, this I, I would like to note: this is our fiftieth episode of the Schooner Pod. Uh, that's a pretty fun milestone. We've made it halfway to a hundred. It's a half a it's our half a hundred episode. That's pretty great. So um, honestly, thank you all so much for listening over this journey. And you know, Jameson, Ty, thank you so much for. Uh, for you know for being with me on this it's been an incredible journey so far and I've I've loved, loved every second of it yeah <laughs> have you <laughs> <laughs> no actually actually i'll take that back uh bobby's really corny uh jokes in the times where he's lost the ability to speak yeah i know those have been those have been <laughs> yeah no i yeah I, We've we've done about eighty of these between this and off the wagon, and I'm I'm still not great at closing this thing. <laughs> Actually, I really enjoy this. I, that's one of those things you really enjoy in retrospect. Yeah, it's part of the charm, just not at the moment. So, um, yes, uh, that's Tidy. Is there anything you want to say before we uh, sign off? No, I just uh, shout out to fiftieth episode, Jameson and Bobby. I killed it for like the first. 40 something uh, and i'm very fortunate to be on it now also i would like to give myself uh, a big shout out for i think this is the first podcast in a couple months that i haven't had a segment that has to get redacted uh, for legal reasons or other reasons <laughs> so uh shout out to me for keeping it relatively kind of clean during the recording process yeah th- this was a classic shout clean pod ford. ford yeah ford also somehow didn't make a a believable segment on this. I, I know he wasn't on it, but Ford finds a way here and there. So Ford finds a way. He he probably <laughs> he, he, he he's probably gonna hack into my anchor account and add in just a bunch of f bombs and c bombs. Yeah. Anyways, we're gonna wrap up so I can tell that uh, dirty joke Ford said. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you like this, hit the subscribe button. If you haven't, it's been fifty episodes, people. Please please listen to us. We're we're pretty good. So. Hit us, you know, subscribe to us on, you know, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. It's it's good stuff. Uh, also hit us up on uh, Twitter at Scooter Blog, Facebook, you know, Scooter Blog as well, uh, and then of course our Instagram page at Insta Scooter, where Ty is always dropping them them hot memes. So, uh, Ty, you got anything good for us in the in the bye week? I know you you had, uh, some, you had a pretty good you had a pretty good K State one. Uh, we're reworking the memes. There were a couple of fresh ones cooked up. Uh, obviously, things have changed, and they are not uh, relevant anymore. So we'll cook up some new ones here and there. Yeah, for sure. So follow that at Instaschooner on Instagram. So, yeah. Well, for me, Jameson, and Ty, thank you so much for listening, and uh, Boomer Sooner. Beat, beat by week. Mm-hmm.